0: Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected, or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. That we are live streaming, so let's all say hi to the internet world. Everyone give the internet world a hand. Yes, what's up internet world? Hey, hey, so for the last two years, we have been filming online specifically on Wednesday mornings. We've been preaching in a way that we'd really be ministering to people in their homes, and I know a lot of churches go to live stream. We did that for literally about 12 years where we would show every Sunday morning service, but when COVID hit, everything shut down, and so we started filming more of an intimate service, a teaching time for people at home. As things began to get back to normal, we said it's time to go back to live streaming. And so this is our first official Sunday back. Now, what does that mean? It means I do not have to preach on Wednesdays anymore. Amen. I kind of threatened the board, if I can say that. With Jeremy leaving, I'm like, dude, we got to go to live streaming. I cannot do this if we want to see me survive. And so I am very, very excited. What a great worship set. How awesome was that? Good? great worship set. Who needed that this morning? I know I did. So we are excited to be here. We are finishing up our last two sermons of our DNA sermon series, and they are going to be a one-two punch. It's going to be the same topic, but it's going to be a one-two punch. What do I mean by that? One of the men in our church has a real passion for finances. And God has done a tremendous work in his life in the the realm of finances. And he said, hey, can I preach on this some Sunday? I said, take the stage, man. Anyone else preaching on finance than me is a better person than I. (laughs) But one of the reasons is, too, is that I have had him preach before, and he's done a fabulous job. And so we're going to be wrapping up these two weeks talking about stewardship. Everything we have... Belongs to God. There's someone who's about to stand up and leave right now, right? What you talking about is he gonna ask me to give What's he gonna ask me to do? What's all this about? No, we are talking about stewardship everything we have belongs to God, so How many of you love the game of Monopoly? (laughs) How many hate the game of Monopoly? No seriously, how many of you hate it? How many in theory love the game of Monopoly anybody in theory so? In theory, I love Monopoly, but practically speaking, let me tell you about the first time I played Monopoly with my children. Yes, we were in Vermont, and many of you know many of our life experiences happen in Vermont. I was actually with my wife in Vermont the last few days. There's no better place than New Jersey, than Vermont. It is a beautiful place, and we have so many amazing things of memories that we have in Vermont. But unfortunately, some of our Vermont memories are really, really bad. (laughs) One of them was the first time we ever played Monopoly with our children. Because we were in the mountains, we were in a cabin, and we think we have all day. It was probably raining or snowing, and there was no place to go. And so we're thinking, like, we have little angels. We have four little angels. And we all know they love to play by rules. (coughs) No, they don't. And so in this, what we, ha- what we did, I allowed Sue to explain all the instructions. We divvied up the money. Everyone got their $500, and all of a sudden, their eyes started changing. I think they went from the color to, like, black. Something <laughs> evil snuck into the room. And I kid you not, first of all, you do not play Monopoly with fifth graders or third graders or try to explain it to a first grader. And it's one of those things, after about an hour, I swear, the devil entered our cabin. And everything went awry. Our one child, who would never lie, who would never cheat, was stealing money under the table. (laughs) Literally, they had money in their socks. And I'm not even exaggerating. And no joke, after the game, I said to Sue, I said three things. First of all, what happened to our kids? Second off, we got to talk to our kids about finances. And third, we will never play Monopoly again. And honestly, yeah, here, here. We literally played Monopoly for the first time, I think, during COVID, like in COVID, since Vermont. Now, Now, why am I saying this? Because when it comes to finances, we all get a little crazy, do I get an amen? amen? Come on. We all get a little crazy, right? Right? We all get a little crazy when it comes to finances. But, but I want us to have some, a different perspective today. I really do. Because here's my hope as your pastor. One, I want you to learn to trust God and understand God's faithfulness, even in view of finances. Two, I want you to be free. To do everything God wants you to do. I want you to be free to go wherever God sends you. Many of you don't know this part about Becky and Pedro, our daughter and son-in-law who went overseas. They were not allowed to go overseas until they paid off $65,000 worth of debt. They paid off $65,000 worth of debt in 10 months. Because they wanted to be free to do and go wherever God called them. Wow. That's powerful. $65,000 in 10 months. I want you to be secure financially. I want you to as your pastor. I want you to be able to understand financial security in a new way. And I want you to learn to be content. Because there's nothing worse than financial pressures. Right? There are three things that couples fight about, right? Sex, money, and in-laws. Do I get an amen? (laughs) It's true. Why? I do pastoral counseling all the time. Those are the three biggest fights that every single couple has. And it's time to eliminate some of these fights. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I ask you for a fun Sunday. I ask you for this morning to be a morning that we get to relook at scripture and what provisions are in a way that they are not the taboo to talk about. God, I want our church to trust even the leadership of this church with how we speak about finances. And I ask you today as we film online that you would keep doing what you've already been doing. For our whole online community that gathers on a regular basis, I pray you would bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Little interesting fact, do you know how many people join us online every single Sunday? Over 200 people. How cool is that? We've had people all over the world follow us. We have people from Japan. We have people in Canada. We've had people all over the place. So, so for all of you online, as I'm looking at you, thank you for joining us. So let's, let's, let's talk about this topic. Let's talk about stewardship. And I think we need to really begin with a biblical perspective. First, let's talk about Jesus and his understanding about finances. Let's talk about that. When you look at finances and you look at Jesus, I want you to understand two things about Jesus. Eleven out of the 39 parables all referenced finances. Do you know that? Eleven out of the 39 parables all were in a picture of a financial illustration. Do you know the one sin that Jesus spoke out against more than any other sin in the gospels is the trap of wealth? Do you know that? He talked about the danger and the sin of wealth. Never did Jesus say that finances were bad. He talked about how wealth Disrupts the heart. I mean, think about when Jesus prayed, when he taught his disciples to pray. Listen to what he said. The second line Give us today the food we need. Give us. Give us the provisions that we need. He says, When you go to God, you ask for provisions. Now that's Jesus. Now take the whole Bible and say, Well, does the Bible really talk about finances? Do you know how many passages in the Bible are in reference to finances? I opened up Proverbs 21 today just to do my own Bible reading, and it seemed like every third verse was about finances. There are 2,350 verses that reference finances. Would you like me to give you that number again? (laughs) 2,350 verses that reference finances how to be stewards of finances, the traps of finances, and how God wants to provide for our financial well-being. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Because God knows that finances and provisions are a huge part of our life. We need shelter. Do I get an amen? We need food. Do I get an amen? Right? We need daily provisions. Do I get an amen? Right? Think about this. And yet, the church, and here's where I apologize. I apologize as your pastor for any time any church has tried to manipulate you with finances. Forgive us. Forgive us that sin. Forgive churches for how they have used finances for their own gain. Do you know how hard it was for me to talk on finances when I first started being a senior pastor? It was impossible because I was so sick of people being manipulated by money. Matter of fact, I did such a poor job preaching on stewardship because I was so afraid that people would feel manipulated. Do you know the first three years of the plant, all the funds that raised that moved this church moving forward were monies that were raised outside the congregation? And God told me this. God said, man, you have done such a great job. Financially helping this church get off the ground, but you've done a poor job teaching your people how to be stewards of what I've given them. And I got on my knees. And I repented. Because stewardship is a part of who we are. It's a part of who we are. It's a conversation that I have all the time with my young adults. It's a conversation I've had with my kids as they see me paying bills, as they talk to me about giving, as they see us going on vacation, as they see us trying to wrestle through all these different financial decisions. And I feel right now, being a parent of four young adults, that I'm having more financial conversations now than ever. And so, how am I? a steward, a biblical steward of the things that God has given me, and then how am I a biblical leader in stewarding you and how you are good stewards of what God has given to you? Because God is up to something, and he wants us to be able to trust him with all things. Amen? I mean, think about the Bible. We see people in all these different situations. You see Joseph, who God promised him the world Do you get it? God gave him dreams that he was going to be a leader of leaders. He was going to lead his siblings, and yet he was thrown in prison. And imagine thinking that God manipulated him, right? And yet God's timing was perfect in Joseph's life because he was positioning him to be able to handle the things that God had planned in the future for him. Think about David. David came from a middle-class family. He was told you were going to be the king, the second king, who should have never been in the lineage. But yet, most of his young life, he was running from his enemy, the king. He was living off the ground. He never had a house. He never had financial stability. Imagine all the questioning that he had. He actually lived in a cave for a while. But yet, he learned every single day, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Think about Ruth. Here you have a young woman. Her husband passes away. She's living with her mother-in-law. She goes to a foreign country. She's not allowed to work. She's not. She's not allowed to work. And yet she is told that all she's allowed to do is follow the farmers and any scraps she can pick up. And then all of a sudden, God provided the right person at the right time who cared for her needs. And her son was part of the lineage of Jesus. Pretty cool, huh? Think about the widow. I love this, the narrative of Jesus and the widow. And he's watching from a distance, him and his disciples. And he sees this widow who is given a weekly allowance of two coins. Two little coins, two lepas. That's all they are. And that's what she's supposed to live on. It's kind of like a, like a government... A government plan. And she drops what, God has, what she's been given from the government into the offering plate for the work of the kingdom of God. And he says, she's get, she gets it. She gets it. She gets it above all these other people. The wealthy who are giving their, their tithes and their offering, this one little old lady gets it. She gets it. And you see this whole idea. That yes, there is provision narratives all throughout Scripture. You see, here's the one thing that I've learned throughout life, and this is, this is where we need to reshape our Western Christianity. You see, we have this Western Christianity called the prosperity gospel. That's a very dangerous gospel. You see, God is a God of prosperity. Do I get an amen for that? But it's not in the lens of Western civilization. It's prosperity of heart. It's prosperity of provisions. It's prosperity knowing that when I sit under the authority of God, he provides for my needs in all ways that he sees fit and best. You see, it's funny is when you play the game of Monopoly, everyone gets $500, right? Everybody. It's kind of like the playing fair mentality. Everyone gets to start out on the starting place with the same amount of money. And we have this idea that that's how God's supposed to work in our lives, right? I'm supposed to have the same as Joel. Joel's supposed to have the same as Mike. Mike is supposed to have the same as Chris. Chris is supposed to have the same as Steve. And that all of a sudden, the moment we we come to Jesus, everything's supposed to be fair to everybody else. Is that how life works? Come on, give me a loud what? no. Not even an amen. No. I mean, look at Scripture. Look what Scripture says. Because this is where we have to, because we get so angry at others. We get so angry at God when we really get this part skewed. And we miss out on allowing God to be our Jehovah-Jireh. I mean, think about that. In the very beginning of the Old Testament, God calls himself I am your provider. Look what it says. It says in Proverbs 22:7, 7, Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Yes. Not everybody is in the same place financially. Not everybody has this, this rule of playing fair. And I believe one of the sins that we have to confess is, God, forgive me for getting angry at you for not being, feeling like I'm in the same position as others. I mean, think about my daughter and son-in-law. $65,000 of debt. Do you think that was a fair way to start marriage? Do I get an amen? That is not fair. Especially when you're saying, God, I'm willing to go overseas and change the world. But yet, they looked at that moment as an opportunity for God to reveal himself that he is provider. Ten months. Look what it says. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Here's what we have to realize. What God has given us, God is entrusting us. And when we start comparing ourselves to others, this is what we do. We step out of bounds and we get ourselves in trouble. When we start looking around and comparing ourselves with others financially, what we see in Scripture is that we get ourselves in trouble. Let me give you three things. Three things that are consequences then we get caught up in this playing fair that everyone's supposed to be in the same place. Three things. Children grow up with a distorted value system, an entitlement mentality. They look at other kids and say, I need that. I want that. I have to have that. Why don't we do that? Daddy, mommy, why can't you provide like everybody else? And then this is what we do. We then commit a second sin, and we get ourselves in grave financial danger. And what we do is we get ourselves caught up with lenders. And what we do is we actually find ourselves out in the open, vulnerable by consumer debts. Do I get an amen? And two, two out of the three things we do wrong is, one, our children grow up with a distorted view. I'll never forget when I was in high school, I grew up in a very well-to-do family. And I also, ha- and I also had some money put away. I had some money put away. That was my money. It wasn't my parents' money. And I went out and bought myself a really nice car. This was before Jesus, before being in ministry. And I bought a car. And I'll never forget, my girlfriend at the time, who's not my wife right now, I have a much better woman right now, she said to me, she goes, Wow, you have nowhere to go. I said, What do you mean? She goes, she goes You bought too nice of a car. I said, What do you mean? She goes, You're 18 years old. Why would you buy a car like that? You have nowhere to go up. I was like, Wow, it's true. I put myself in a financial pickle by buying a car that I should have never, ever purchased. And it's true. And so what we do is we get ourselves in trouble. We, we get ourselves to be enslaved to lenders. But there's a third problem. And I said this in the beginning. Couples argue. They don't argue about the provisions they have They talk about the things they do not have and the things they believe they need. Correct? I need to own a house. Says who? That was one of the first lies that Sue and I believed when we got married. You got to have a house. In order to have a successful family, you have to own a house. And I had Christians telling me this. I had people in ministry saying, you need a house, you need a house, you need a house, you need a house. And at that season of our life, it got us in financial trouble. Huge financial trouble. And it caused arguments and fights that we would have never have had if we would have just trusted the process. How many marriages are so consumed with the financial stresses that they've created for themselves? Anyone ever... Create financial stress for yourself, right? A few of you, right? I know I have. I know I have. And I know that since we've been living out of debt, and it took us 20 something years to get out of debt, that those 20 something years, and we've only been married 25 years, that those 20 something years were the most stressful 20 something years of our marriage. And I would say that the majority of it was because of financial stress. And so, there's these lies that we believe. So, I want to give you five principles of biblical stewardship. Five. And I want you to chew on this. I want you to take out your phones, open up your camera. I want you to snap these. And what I want you to do is I want you to this week take a long, hard look within your soul, even before you go to your bank account. And I want you to ask yourselves, am I, are we stewards, stewards with how God has provided for us? Because right now, unless someone wins the lottery in this room, your finances are not changing in the next month. Do I get an amen? Except for the market, unless the market gets worse. Please, Lord, don't do that. But think about this. So when you look at what you have, you are saying, God, this is what you've given to me. What am I doing with it? What am I doing with it? What am I doing with it? First, five principles of biblical stewardship. Earn diligently. Earn diligently. Look what it says in Scripture. Colossians 3.23. Work willingly at whatever you do. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. In scripture, we are told, work hard. Work hard, play hard, right? (laughs) Work hard, play hard. That's theology. Do I get an amen? Really, it's work hard, worship hard, play hard. There's actually a theology of play out there. Do you know that? There's a theology of rest. But also, God has called us to work hard. Here's my question. When you go to work, who do you say you're working for? Who do you say you're working for? I know that as the boss here at the church of the staff of the plants of both Mawa and West Milford, I have a standard of work ethics. Seriously. I have a standard that when I go into your office, it needs to look a certain way or you're getting the huh, right? There's a standard of working hard, Why? Because God has given us so many hours in a day, and in those hours of the day, it is my responsibility, it is your responsibility to work as you are working for the Lord. Well, Rob, that's easy. You're a pastor. Well, you know what? God called you to whatever God has called you to do. Are you working diligently that every single day Jesus is standing in the corner watching you Do you believe that every time you go to work that the Holy Spirit is is motivating you to do good works so that people will praise your Father in heaven? Do people see how you you work at work in a way that say, wow, I want to be like them. I want to be like her. I want to be like him. I want to be that individual because they have this passion. They have this passion in, in such a way that they're working for something greater than themselves. I love that. I love looking around this room and seeing some individuals that that work harder than any people that I know, and they love it. Work diligently. Are you working diligently? Are you actually asking yourself that God has given me my vocation as my gospel vehicle? Plant family, I may not be a pastor forever. Well, what do you mean? You're never allowed to leave. We're going to tie you up and throw you into your office. You're not allowed to do that. That's called kidnapping, okay? I work that in this season of my life, and I'm hoping it'll be a long season, that I am a pastor, but there may be a season that God calls me to do something else, and if he does, I will work the very same way that God has called me to work here at the plant. Amen? Because every single day, every way that I work is a reflection of how I trust God as Jehovah Jireh. Two, give generously. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. You see, we don't like talking about giving. I love talking about giving. Because I know that every time I give, I am declaring that Jesus is my provider. That God is my provider. That the roof that I have over my head is not given by me, but it's given by him. I love to give generously because every time I eat a meal, I realize that God put that meal on on my table. I love to give generously because when I see the clothes that I am wearing, that God is the one who has clothed me. And so when I give, it's not reluctantly, but it's actually a joy. You see, in Scripture, in the Old Testament, it talks about a tithe, 10%. But when you get to the New Testament, there's not this tithe rule. And everyone's like, woo! No tide rule. Matter of fact, he's saying, everything is mine. Wait a second. Can we go back to Old Testament? Right? Everything. And so, do you give? Do you give back to God what is, he has given to you? And yes, when you give to the church, you are saying, God, I am trusting you. I am trusting you. That you will always provide. You are my Jehovah Jireh. That just like the widow, that every time I put something in the offering, that I am just declaring that everything I have is yours. I shared this story with you before. I'll never forget about 12 years ago. We were doing the whole giving and tithing thing. My oldest son came into the kitchen. And I said to Brandon, I said, this is how much I gave this past year. This is how much more I want to give this year. Keep me accountable. He's like, huh? I'm like, seriously, I want to practice having my children look at our finances in a way of being accountable. I want to. And since then, my giving has gone up and up and up and up. You don't need to know how much I give because I don't want to know how much you give. But I know God knows how much I give. And I want him to look at me and say, wow, you really trust me with the finances I've provided for you. Give generously. I love it. I love that this past year, and I'm just giving you an example for something to think about. This is not a patting on the back. Please. I want you to learn to do two things. I want you to learn to give generously to the church you go to. Whether you go to the plant or whether you go somewhere else, give in a way that you are saying, God, I trust you. Give. Give. Give in a way that you're saying, last year I gave 5%. Give 6% this year. If you gave 10%, give 11%. But then I want you to do something else. Something Sue and I have been practicing is is that we have a lot of ministry friends that struggle financially. We've struggled our whole life in ministry. That's what happens when you choose a nonprofit life. We both have worked our whole marriage. It's what we've done. We've chosen this. It's our decision. It's our decision. So what Sue and I have been doing, and this is just an example for you to think about in the future. After you've chosen to give to the Father, to God. Every month, Sue and I, we identify a pastor and his wife, and we send them out to a very nice dinner. It's our way to say, hey, keep up the good work. Keep up the good work. How are you giving generously? Why are Christians the cheapest people in the world? Seriously. Hey, here's a Bible verse for your tip. Really? They don't want a Bible verse. They want 20%. Seriously. Think about that. We should be the most generous people in the world. you know why? Because God's provider of all. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Three, save appropriately. Look what it says in scripture. Proverbs 21.20, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Listen to another translation. A wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets save appropriately. Save. Yes, we are supposed to save for a rainy day. Amen? Amen. Your washing machine will break. Don't say amen. amen. Do you know how many times I go in my basement because I am terrified that my water heater will leak again? Because I live in a town that has very hard water and I've only been in this house for 14 years and I've already gone through two water heaters And every time I go into my basement, I start freaking out because one day that water heater is going to start leaking, and I'm calling plumber Tom to come fix it. I need to save appropriately because that water heater is going down, and it's going to win. But am I ready? Am I ready? Am I saving appropriately? I was very honest with my children about college, what we have and what we don't have. Parents. You should not be going into debt because of your kid's college. Do I get an amen? Amen. Only a couple of you. You're believing a lie. You provide what you can for your children. My son came to me and he said this. He said, Dad, you taught me how to be a man. You made me pay for my college and law school. You've helped me out in every single way possible. Whenever you can, you do. We've saved for college. We did everything that every parent's supposed to do. We did it all. We divided the money up, 2008, recession. Where'd it go? 2001, stock market got hit, 9-11. We can't do certain things. And he said, I said, what do you mean? He said, the best thing you did is made me pay for law school and college. You taught me, he says, no matter how much money I make, and he kind of chuckled because he's like, I'm gonna make a lot more than you. My kids are going to pay for the college, and I will help them in ways that I can. You taught me to be a man. You see, there's a balance. There's a balance. Refinancing your house 12 times for your kids to go to college, to find yourself in a financial hole, is not always the most healthiest thing to do. We're teaching our, we need to be teaching our children Stewardship. Spend moderately. Luke 12, 15. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Beware. How many of you fixate on things? Yes, me too, right? Right? How many of us fixate on things? You guys are liars. This is why Jesus says that this is the greatest sin in the world. Right? Right? How many of us fixate on things? New car, new house, vacation, new toy, golfing. Come on, what else? You name it. How many of us fixate on things? Raise your hands. I swear. (laughs) And then I'm going to get fired. (laughs) Spend moderately. Spend moderately. Spend moderately. This is something that I've had to learn. Growing up in a wealthy home, Finances were not really a conversation. And when I got married, I realized, like, wow, I have a loose wallet. And it was not mirroring the finances that I had. And so I've had to really ask the hard questions. I've had to learn to do this right. Spend moderately. Because after you spent it, it'll come back and bite you. Or it'll come back and reward you. So you're thinking like, okay, so when's the big ask? Have I asked for anything yet? No, I want you to be stewards. I want you to be stewards. I want you to get this. I want you to get this. But then there's a last one. Invest wisely. Yes, there is a biblical principle of investment. Invest wisely. It says in Ecclesiastes 11:2, but divide your investments among many places. For you do not know what risks might lie ahead. We cannot control the market, but we can be wise with the market. Right? We need to diversify, right? We need to spread our money out and be wise. Are you you trying to save for retirement? Are you? Are you saving for college, for your kid's college, in a way that's responsible? Are you being wise? It's one of the things that I thought about even this weekend. Like, how am I? because I turned 50. Like, I'm getting older. And one day, I, I, I'll probably work the rest of my life. But I'm going to have to live on something else than just a regular salary. Right? Are you investing wisely? And the reality is, is that we cannot control the things we invest in. That's why we need to be very very sharp. And if you're not sharp with it, find someone who is. And if you need a suggestion, there are several people in our church that I would trust you to invest with. Christian men and women who do this well. So, the five principles. Earn diligently, give generously, save appropriately, spend moderately, invest wisely. You see that? Anyone want to take a, d- a deep breath? <sighs> this wasn't scary, was it? Was this scary? But think about this. Think about this. Our attitude about money is established in the heart. Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Let me say that again. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Matthew 6, 21. I was warned to being a pastor in Bergen County. I was warned to be a pastor in Bergen County. Because you will never live to the standard of those that you minister to. Do you know that? And how is my heart positioned? How is your heart positioned to say, God has called me to this area no matter what I do or who I am? how and then how do you figure out how to do it properly how so my goal our goal as a leadership team is that you would have a kingdom perspective and live in God's provisions and boundaries that's our goal is that you would have a kingdom perspective Put up that that five square, the, the circle again, that you would have a kingdom perspective and you would live in God's provisions and boundaries for your life. And here's what I want you to, as your pastor, I want you to experience God's faithfulness as you trust him, as you trust him, as you trust him. I want you to have freedom to go where God wants you to go, do what God wants you to do, and give what He wants you to give. For us, it started with an attitude of generosity. I actually had my one son say, You tithe to the church? You're kind of like paying yourself. I said, It's a a matter of trust. Does that make sense? It's true. Twice a month, I get a little reminder from PushPay. Anyone get those, right? Or the 20 for 20, right? I trust God. I trust God. I trust God. My goal is that I want to give more so that I have the freedom to do whatever God has called me to do. Whatever he calls me to do. I love the story of my my son-in-law and daughter. They knew they could not go overseas until their debt was paid off. They could not go the denomination says you cannot go with debt. You know what they did? They worked five jobs between the two of them because they knew that God had something better for them. And now, the monies they have in their savings blows me away. But what was his job? He was a medical technician. What did your daughter do? She worked for Starbucks, she was a teacher's aide, she worked nonprofit. Because they were wise with what God had given them. Three, I want you to create financial security that prepares you for the future. And four, I want you to learn contentment. I want you to learn contentment. I want you to learn contentment that God is in charge of all things. And him being in charge of all things allows you to be the individuals who God has called you to do. If you are faithful with the little things, you will be faithful with large things. Practice. Being faithful. Anyone need this sermon this morning? Right? As we're going into the Christmas season. Right? Right? Think about this. The most holy thing that you could do this week is sit down with your finances and saying, God, where do I really stand with you and how you've provided for me? Amen? Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my finances. I ask you that you would continue to be my good shepherd, our good shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.